Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up in just a few minutes in today's Clark Rageous Moment, there's something way too many of us do to harm our wallets when we walk in a cell phone store. I'm going to tell you what it is and how to protect yourself from harming your wallet. And coming up yet later, there's a strong belief I have about something anyone needs to do while they're in school. And it's something that seems to be a lost art in America, but I think it has a big amount to do with how successful you're going to be when you finish school. I'm going to fill you in. So we realized in our what we call our pre-show meeting when all our various disciplines get together, Clark.com staff, ClarkDeals.com, the TV side, the radio side, um, our off-air team, that there was an area where questions kept coming up and people showed so much confusion about. And it was the process of going about buying a home. And I think about the discrete parts that people call me about, people who are having issues or questions about financing, people that are having problems with a builder when they're buying a new construction home, people that are having some kind of dispute through the process of selling a home, or is the buyer of a used home. And all of the different parts of home buying that can be so confusing to a buyer. So uh, one of our writers at Clark.com and I have collaborated on coming up with something that I guess would qualify as long enough to be a short story, but not long enough to be a book on the steps to buying a new home. And because it's the internet, of course, it's nine steps to buying a new home. Isn't that funny about the internet? The five ways to do whatever. The three things you should know before you do whatever. So we've got the nine steps to buying a new home for you. And uh, they actually have meat to them. They're not just clickbait. That walk you through what you need to do about your finances, what you need to do about your credit, how you go about the process of qualifying for a loan, how to shop for a loan, how to shop for a home, how to negotiate for that home. All the various phases of buying a home are available in our new home buying guide. And this guide is something that will be a living, breathing document that we will revise as the market changes and conditions change. But I want you to have a tool that walks you through, almost like a workbook, that walks you through the things you got to look out for and the things you need to know before you go to buy a home. And I was thinking about this with my oldest child who she and her husband recently bought a house and they found the process to be intimidating, confusing, confounding. I mean, every, everything about it was uh, overwhelming for them. And it was really good for me to see up close and personal what it's like for a first-time home buyer to go through that. My own child, who, who 
her whole life, this is what I've done for a living. And she's learned so much just by living and breathing and being around me. But the home buying thing was still intimidating. And so that's part of the motivation is to help you through that process. One thing that's been really hard for first-time home buyers is the issue of affordability and buying a home. And one of the things that's made that tough is local communities have designed rules for homes, for lots, for square footage that have really crushed affordability for first-time home buyers as the population of the United States has overwhelmingly urbanized the value of land in the urban areas of which there are about, I guess there are 23 in the United States that account for the overwhelming amount of population in the U.S. And so they account for like almost no amount of the total land mass of the United States. So they account for almost all the population, almost none of the land. So in these urban areas, the value of land drives the cost of the house. So as the anachronistic, is that the right word? The out-of-date rules on land use create so many inefficiencies, including the problem of making homes unaffordable. And I hope the next wave of urban planning takes into account creating uh, efficiencies that will allow areas of metro areas corridors where more affordable housing can be built, which doesn't mean apartments or condos or whatever. It likely means houses on very small lots, houses that are smaller square footage than what we have right now. And I see inklings of this with some of the things going on with the oddness of the tiny homes and something that will not be odd at all, and that is homes that are 3D printed that will make them much more affordable. But it's going to require a rethink by local officials about how urban areas develop to make homes more affordable for the first-time home buyer. Will is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Will. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Will. So you sold your business. Yes, that's right. What, what are you doing to... with 168 hours a week of spare time now from going oh, from man, I'm, working I'm every you know, hour of your life? Yeah, I'm in paramedic school, so that does a fair job of taking up my time in between having to go to class and go to clinicals and things like that. So uh, believe me, that time is not missed. So Obviously, you're not afraid of gore or blood. No, no, I'm not. Fortunately, yeah, a lot of that would be a, a lot of people that would that, life that would be the disqualifier for them. Yes, big one. Yes. How long does paramedic like, school take? How long does that program? Uh, it depends on the schools. Uh, you know, the demand for paramedics now is so high that there's a lot of um, schools opening up actually that just do paramedic school, and they're kind of changing how it's done. But typically, a, a normal program takes anywhere from a year to about sixteen months. Wow. You know, it, uh, it's, it's incredible how many people live now who did not before. You know, the mentality in the United States used to be that all anybody ever did 
if someone was injured or ill, was transport. There was yeah. no immediate care rendered by a first responder. And right. the number of people who are alive and well in the United States, because of the shift in that mentality to where first responders treat on the scene, it's mm-hmm. unreal how many people got a second chance at life because of that. So you're going to be doing yeah, great work. You're absolutely right. The big difference is, um, it's actually funny, I was just studying it before I got on the phone with you, is cardiology. And, you know, as a paramedic, we have to know cardiology inside out pretty much just as well as the nurse does these days. And a lot better yeah. than I do. I just went through my recurrent training for CPR and AED. And yep. um, uh <laughs> I'm not the one you want saving you if you go down, let me tell you. (laughs) Well, luckily, those defibrillators are pretty much automatic now, so you just hook them up and they do the work for you. That's right. But the whole CPR thing, you know, remembering how many times to to push and how hard to push and, you know, how many cycles and how to do the breaths and all that. In the midst of a moment like that, for you, it's automatic. For someone like me who just has his recurrent training uh, who knows if I'd do it right? Right. Well, the most important thing for, for you and anyone listening out there is those chest compressions. So, Yep. Staying alive, staying alive. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yep, they taught us that. They still teach that. Right. So how can I be of service to you? So I, I recently, as well as being a firefighter medic, um, owned a small business and became, made the decision a few weeks ago to sell whatever I have my shares left of that small business. And that amounted to about the total of about $30,000. And, you know, to be honest, I've been running over in my head what I'd like to do with that money. Um, I thought about getting into investing, and that's still a big option. And I have a friend of mine who's a financial planner, and he suggested that I try one of these robo-advisors. Uh, I, there's a couple companies out there. He recommended one in particular. Which um, one? I don't have to, Who did he uh, recommend? Yeah, Schwab Intelligent Portfolio. Okay, that's a great choice. Um, okay, and then I, no you know, after doing some research, I know Vanguard has one, and there's a couple other out there, but Schwab definitely seemed to be the the best one. However, they're still so new. You know, Schwab Intelligent Portfolio has great reviews, but when you look at the reviews, no one actually says how well it's working. They just basically review the interface. They review Schwab's customer service or something like that. No one has actually commented on there and said, hey, this is really working for me. So I'm not sure if the portfolio is the best way to go, you know, especially with the election coming up. Uh, this current president, love him or hate him, has done well with the stock market. And I feel a little bit of apprehension if the country decides to go the other direction with this next election that we might not see the stock market do as well as it is right now. All right, so, so Will, you're worrying about the wrong things because okay. stock market investing is not about who's in the White House, it's not about who's in the Congress, and it's not about today or two years from now or four years from now. It's really about 10 or more years from now. Okay. So you don't invest money in Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, any other robo-investor, anything like that, except for money that's long-term, long-horizon. Okay. Another thing is uh, presidents are given credit or, or dealt blame for what happens in the investing community, and presidents actually have very little to do with what happens with investing over any meaningful period of time. 
So don't worry about an election cycle and what that means with investments. So think okay. instead, if you were to put money in Schwab Intelligent Portfolios or a competitor, what time period would you think that you'd be comfortable putting money in for? Right. You, you know, right off the bat, I'm looking to invest probably half of that. So about 15000 right off the bat. For how long? Um, that's a good question. I haven't really thought that much about it. Uh, you know, that was the other thing with the intelligent portfolio that I have to sit down with my wife because, you know, it asks you your goals. You know, are you looking to buy a house? Are you looking to retire? Is this for retirement? Is this just for long-term wealth? And for some reason, when I look at those options, I'm drawn to the one that says long-term wealth. Okay, so that's exactly what you should be using this for. So okay. you're backing into the whole purpose of investing is for long-term okay. financial security. But I would want you to go into something like an intelligent portfolio or anything else with your first goal being fully funding Roth IRAs for you and your mm -hmm. wife. Right. I have one. I have a Roth IRA for myself. Um, it's up to about $8,200. I put $200 into it every month. That's great. Um, every, you know, year, as, every year with this money you've got, I want you putting uh, 12000 in, six for you, six for your wife. Okay. And you'd soak up half that money pretty quickly. Okay. The other half of it is for shorter term goals. Is that the idea? Yes. You know, some we are we don't currently own a house. We would love to eventually look um, buy a house together. And, All right. You know, so that's easy too. See, now we're backing into the goals where you actually should start. But you know your goals: long term mm -hmm. with part of it, short term with the other part. The rest of it just put into a simple online savings account where you'll earn about two and a quarter percent typically right around there and just park that money till it's time for you to use for a down payment on a house you cannot invest for a shorter horizon you're just a saver for a shorter horizon and the money for the house would be that the money for investing goes in those roths so that it's never taxed again and it builds for the long term Today's Clark Rageous moment is really a Clark Rage on you and me. Decisions we make with our wallet that aren't healthy. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. I love how I can use my family as like focus groups for things that people emotionally respond to but shouldn't. My... 13-year-old son was all over me about why we should sign up for a cell phone protection plan. And I was explaining why you don't do that. And I was just like making no progress at all because there's such this emotional connection we have with cell phones, particularly any kind of electronics. You think of electronics as being cold and impersonal, but talk to somebody about their TV not working and they freak out, right? And their cell phone, they crack the screen, whatever. They go bonkers. So it makes you really susceptible when you're at the cell phone store to buy their junk. And let me tell you, no mistake about it, cell phone insurance is horrible, trashy junk. Don't do it. It's unbelievably overpriced for what you get per and what you pay per month. And usually you're getting a refurbished phone replacing your new one. 
and you have a big deductible when you do claim against the insurance. The insurance you should have in your life is wide insurance. I always ask people who start talking to me about cell phone insurance, I'll ask them, well, do you have disability insurance? And they look down at their feet. That's something you actually should have when you're disabled, not your phone. In addition, if you're really into it, just use a credit card for your cell phone bills that provides free cell phone insurance. Lots of credit cards do now to try to get you to pay your cell phone bill with their card. We have a list for you at Clark.com of credit cards that do that. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So if you are in school of any kind after high school, there's one thing you can do that will boost your chances of getting a good job out of school when you finish whatever program you're in and get you more money in the job you go to. And it's work. You know, there's a college in New England called Northeastern that has college graduates that tend to get jobs more easily than other students and they tend to make more money because built into the curriculum at the school, you alternate semesters working full-time in what you're studying for money or being in school full-time. Your degree takes like an extra year or so, typically an extra year, because you go year-round, but you're spending half the time working full-time and half the time in school full-time. So by the time you graduate, you have years of work experience. In their system, the work experience is directly in what you've been studying. But having work experience is so credible, so valuable to an employer. It shows a maturity. It shows an understanding of the work culture. And today, very few students work a lot while they're in school. Probably half of college students, depending on what survey you believe, work some amount through a school year. But there aren't a lot that very purposely work through their school time in college or community college or whatever, where they're really thinking about how it's going to relate to what they're studying and what they're going to do. But it makes a massive difference. According to a study at Rutgers University, when you finish school, your earnings will be a lot higher because of the time that you've been working. Your first year earnings will be much higher than they would be otherwise. And this is if you go to a two-year school or a four-year and get a bachelor's degree. In either case, Having the work experience leads to higher rates of employment in your field of study and the much higher pay rates on average than what you'd see otherwise. I am a big believer in this only because it happened in my life by accident. As you may be aware, 
when I was at school, I had been at school a while and my dad lost his job. And I had to become a night student and I worked full time the rest of the way through undergraduate school and then graduate school. So I was basically a night student most of the way through. And the fact that I had so much work experience by the time I finished graduate school had so much to do with what happened to me in my 20s and the fact that I was able to retire the first time when I was 31. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Good. Oh, Mike, I'm not hearing you clearly. Try again. Can you hear me now? Uh, not that clearly. I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to see if you got a better line, and then we'll go back to you. Jamie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Jamie. You paid more for your phone service than Mike does, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. What's going on? Well, I recently got a, uh, a notice from my credit card, or one of my credit card uh, companies uh, indicating that there would be an increase in my in my annual rate. Uh, you mean uh, annual annual fee or interest rate? Annual uh, fee. Ooh, how much was the annual fee? What's it going to? It's going to uh, ninety nine dollars. Ninety nine, and what has it been? Uh, significantly less. Uh, I. It's not really. Uh, that big of a, an increase. I just resent the fact that, uh, as with many other things, uh, prices are are going up. I can understand that. What with um, operating expenses and and the like. Yeah, but uh, that's not true with credit cards. The credit cards that charge an annual fee are doing so because generally, whatever benefits come with the card they believe justifies in the marketplace charging a fee. Is this some kind of rewards card? Uh, yes, it is, yeah. uh, which, which brings us to, uh, I guess, the initial reason I, I chose this car. Um, I, I was an airline employee, but uh, the airline I was with uh, was rather restrictive in its, uh, in its rewards. So I, I reached out to this particular company that would give uh, uh, me the opportunity to, to um, cover the the blank areas that I was uh, I was dealing with. Um, in the meantime, over the past three decades that I've I've been a, a card member with this particular company, uh, I've found other cards that would offer me uh, more satisfying rewards, if you want to put it that way. Uh, over the years, because we do attempt to pay off our credit card statements every month, our FICA score has, of course, gone up. What kind of number do you have? Uh, it's in excess of... 801. Fantastic. All right, let me tell you what I would do. Um, I would apply for another card, because with your credit score, that's not going to be any issue, and get a card that gives you rewards 
that you're not going to have to pay an annual fee for. Have you, uh, do you have any business that you do with Fidelity Investments? Uh, no, I do not. All right. Have you ever heard me talk about the City Double Cash card? I'm, no, I, I haven't. Um... Let me tell you the advantage of this card. The Double Cash card has no annual fee and pays you 2% cash back on everything you charge. And that is pretty much at the level of the very best uh, travel cards, the equivalent of 2%. uh, As a matter of fact, uh, uh, my credit union uh, offered me a a card uh, on which there is no annual fee. And what what percent cash back do you earn? That's uh, that's insignificant as as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you don't care about that. So go no. ahead and get the card from your credit union. Get it first, and then do not renew the $99 annual fee travel card. There's no benefit to you having it if the fee's higher and you're not finding the rewards to be worth it. They may in turn say, well, if you're going to cancel, what if we gave you the next year for free and you could float it for another year and then dump it and still have whatever travel privilege comes with it? Make sure you burn all the points you have in it, though, before you close the account. Otherwise, under most of the credit card-based programs, you forfeit multi-airline points once you close the account. Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mike. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Mike. How can I serve you? And you got a great phone now. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on. It's the, the cheap uh, budget you know, phone. Stuff. Okay. <laughs> um, hey, so I've been enjoying listening to your uh, show, and I've been hearing you talk a lot about Credit Karma. So I signed up, and I you know went through all the questions, and you know I recognized them, answered them, and it wasn't good enough. And um, now they want me to send a an electronic copy of my driver's license. All right, I'm much more worried about something else then. Okay. Um, If you went through the protocol with Credit Karma and you failed the challenge questions Mm -hmm. and you know you were giving the right answers, that means there are either errors or there's somebody who's snooping around trying to use your identity well, here's the thing. I, I coincidentally, it was TransUnion, and I I checked my TransUnion report just two weeks earlier. My credit had been frozen since then, um, and my wife. We did my wife at the same time, and she got the identical questions, and they passed hers. Wait, no, wait, wait. So, Your credit's frozen. Yes. Ah. I, I, unfro- I, unfro- I unfroze it for this because um, I got to the point where it said, you know, your credit's frozen. I unfroze okay. it. And I did that, and so it, it but it did, it was able to pull because it, it, I did recognize the questions. It okay, didn't, didn't like it. That is that is disturbing to me. And you said you just looked at your TransUnion credit file. Yes, yeah, I just out of pure coincidence, I try to check one every four months. All right, which is you know the formula I've recommended, so you're never having to pay to look at your file. All right, in okay. this case. Uh, I think that this would be to your benefit to provide them with the documentation they've asked for at Credit Karma to verify, because I want you to be able to steadily monitor what's on your reports. You'll be able to Mm -hmm. see what's with two of the three of them, 
anytime they reject you like that, it always makes me worry that something isn't quite right with your files or who they think you are and all that. So I would send the documentation. Okay. Great. And have you tried Credit Sesame also? I have not. Try Credit Sesame. See if you get rejected by them as well. Okay. And that would be uh, important education for you to have. Okay. Great. I appreciate it. Sure. And you're going to love having these free services once you get them established. Right now, obviously, not very much fun trying to get them established, but you'll be thrilled once you can. Dana's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm thinking about selling my house. Well, I'm planning to definitely sell my house uh, in a year from now. And with the mortgage rates on a decline, I was wondering if it made sense for me to refinance my 30-year mortgage, which I'm currently at 5.5, refinance it and get a rate of 3.875, and it would save me, for my calculations, anywhere from three dollars to $400 a month, and I'm planning to sell in a year. Does right. that make sense? It would not make sense to do that refi because of the closing cost, but I have an alternative. Okay. There are a number of lenders that will do what are known as no closing cost refis. A lot of credit unions do them, and through um, mortgage brokers, you can do them. And so you wouldn't get the low of the market. Normally, you would add roughly a half a point to your rate. So you might get let's say four and a half instead of 3.875 is a, a, a comparison. But you'd still be saving a point in your interest rate. And because it's a no closing cost, it doesn't hurt you if you sell in a period of time before you would have normally recovered closing costs since you wouldn't have paid any. Okay, okay. Even if I'm going to sell a year from now... It would still make sense to do a no-closing cost. Okay, okay. Because think about how much those closing costs would be in order for you to generate what appears to be a savings of 400 a month or whatever number you use somewhere around that you said right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well the closing costs would be about 3500 okay so but what you've been in the loan how many years um i've been in the loan since 2003 okay so that's not the deal it sounds like because are you refining into a brand new 30-year loan yeah. Yeah. So you're not saving what it sounds like because you're taking what now is a 14 year loan and turning it into a new 30. Okay. So the only way the numbers would add up is if you took out a 15 year refinance instead of a 30, you drop mm-hmm. your rate a fair amount, even with you doing a no closing cost. So you'd probably be back down around what they've quoted you now for a new 30 year loan. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense, but you drop from like five and a half to round four or whatever. That so even work. dropping from, from five and a half to 3.875. Yeah, but I'm saying if you do, a, you're not saving what you think you are because remember they're recalculating your now balance over 30 years instead of over 16 or 14. 
Yeah, but I plan to sell in a year. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. You're missing the point because you're gonna you're gonna effectively have paid less of your balance down over this next year because you will have done what they call reamortizing. So in your situation, it would make zero sense to go from a 14-year loan to a 30. If you went from a 14-year loan to a 15, that would work. But doing a 14 into a 30, no, not at all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com slash ask. Then producer Joel asks your question for you. Who you got, Joel? Clark got a question from KJ who says, what's the best credit card to get for a first-time person trying to establish credit? My daughter's 23. She's never had a credit card. Interest rates all seem so high for the ones I've looked at online. She will be getting it to establish credit, so she should be paying off the balance when it's due every month. Yeah, so as long as you use a starter card right, which is not paying any interest by paying the balance in full, there's a lot of things that help you with your score as well because you're careful how much you charge to it each month. So one product I really like for her to look at is the Petal card, P-E-T-A-L card. It's a Visa card for people starting out with credit, has no application fee, no annual fee, no security deposit required to be posted. If for some reason the Petal card doesn't work out for your daughter, two other options doing a fresh start program at a credit union, and that's a generic term, they may call it differently at a credit union that she would be a member of or join, where you're able to establish a Visa or MasterCard account in return for putting money in a CD or savings account there, no application fee, usually no annual fee, you graduate to a regular card after not too much time. The third option would be Amazon's credit builder, which requires you to put money on deposit, but seven months of on-time payments, you graduate to a regular card. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at clark.com and clarkdeals.com.